I have said this uh, before, and I am sure that I will say it again, uh, but the text before us today is of greatest significance. While I believe in the full inspiration and authority of all Scripture, every word, as in fact we'll see today, I also believe that there are a handful of texts, which I've been privileged to preach over my ministry here, that have been of paramount importance. Paramount importance. We have such a text before us today. And so I want to... I want to pray for us, that God would give us unusual attention. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time of worship that we've had. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your goodness to us uh, through the gospel. Thank you for this opportunity now to spend time in your word, and every word is true, and every word is valuable, every word inspired by you, and yet the text before us today, I believe, uh, is of critical importance for, for us as a church, for us as individual followers of Jesus Christ. And so regardless of where we have been this week and where we have been this morning and all the things that are going on around us, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would grant, uh, as I said, unusual attention to be able to focus in on what you have for us uh, today in our continuing study of this book. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You see, I want you to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ was at stake when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy from prison. Paul was facing imminent death. At any moment, the executioner could come, lead him to the Ostian Way, where he would literally lose his head. As a result of that persecution, some had deserted, others had distorted the gospel. From a purely human perspective, the gospel was at stake. It always has been. It has faced threats from both without and within. From without, as those who oppose the gospel persecute followers of Jesus, whether they arrested and imprisoned Paul 2,000 years ago or arrested and imprisoned Saeed and others like him for exactly the same reason today. Whether they beheaded Paul 2,000 years ago or behead Christ followers on a beach today. Whether they persecuted followers of Jesus then, ordering them to recant or be thrown to the lions, or whether they hold a gun to their heads today and order them to recant or take a bullet. There has always been and always will be persecution for followers of Jesus. And the, and the gospel has always faced those threats, not only from without, but, but from within. Those within the church who would teach what Paul called strange doctrines, actually doctrines of demons. The church has always had its false teachers whether they saw godliness as a means to financial gain 2,000 years ago or they see ministry as a means to personal wealth today. Can anyone say $65 million jet? 
whether they wormed their way into homes through the back door uh, 2,000 years ago to deceive and spread their destructive heresy, or whether they creep into homes today through cable and internet to deceive and spread the same destructive heresies. Whether they were lovers of themselves and and money and, and pleasure rather than lovers of God then or whether they teach a similar health, wealth, and prosperity gospel today because, you see, they love themselves. From a human perspective, the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been at risk. And I know of no time more so than today. So Paul writes his last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, to both warn and encourage him. The warning came in the form of persecution is coming. In fact, it is a way of life for believers. In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, and thereby they will seek to destroy the gospel, which is opposed to that self-pursuit. I need you to avoid such men as these, avoid those false teachers. And then, then the encouragement came in the form of reminder. Kindle afresh, Timothy, the gift of God in you, that, that gift that you received uh, by the laying on of my hands. And, re- and remember, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and, and love and discipline. And encouragement came in the form of, uh, well, I'm going to call it invitation. Don't be ashamed of of the gospel or or of me, its messenger, but here's the invitation to join with me in in suffering for the gospel. Encouragement came in the form of command. I need you to retain the standard of sound gospel words that you heard from me and the things that you heard from me, you need to pass on to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Timothy, I need you to protect and to preserve and to pass on the gospel unchanged at all costs. Die for it if Die for it if necessary. Would you do that? You see, in the last days in which we are, in fact, living, difficult times have come. People have gone from bad to worse. And the gospel uh, is at stake. It always has been. Fight for it. Defend it. Paul continues this call to us this morning in our text, this repeated call, protect the gospel, preserve the gospel, pass it on at all costs. Look at the text with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 To 17, he just told us difficult times will come. They have come, seen in the lives of self-absorbed people. Again, I know of no culture that has been more self-absorbed than our own. People who love themselves, love money, love pleasure. They have a form of godliness, but there's no no power there. Verse 10, but but you, and in fact, he says those words, but you, twice in this text, verse 10 and verse 14, by way of contrast. But, but you, Timothy, you need to be different. You, you have followed, verse 10, my teaching, my conduct, he repeats it, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and perseverance, my persecutions and suffering, such as happened to me at Iconiac, at 
uh, I mean, at, at Antioch, at Iconium, and, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the <laughs> out of them all the Lord rescued me. I'm not sure if Paul was reading the same Bible I've read. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, but you, that's the words, but you, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and, and that from childhood you have known the the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now know this, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In short, Paul, Paul says this, Timothy, you, you have followed my, my teaching, pr proven by my conduct and well, proven by my sufferings. My teaching that is grounded in the Scripture. Now, I need you to continue to follow. D despite what is co coming, despite the persecutions, despite the false teaching, I need you to follow in what you have learned and become convinced of because you see difficult times are here to stay. Persecution, you see, is a way of life for believers. Serious threats will continue to come against the church, against the gospel and followers of Christ. But you... Timothy, be forewarned and be encouraged. Specifically, I want you to look at three things this morning to, to, to view uh, or to look at in view of this coming, of these coming difficult, terrible last days. I want you to look at, look at me, Paul says. I want you to look to your teachers, but ultimately I want you to look, I want you to look to the scriptures. These three still apply to us today. Yes, we can look to Paul and uh, in that his teaching became Scripture. But more than that, we can look to godly teachers to follow today inasmuch as they are godly and follow Christ. And we can look to, to, do, to the Scripture as the ultimate source of equipping us for every good work. I want you to understand, my brothers and sisters, this morning, that you have everything that you need to be equipped to be the man or woman of God that he has called you enabled, and enabled you to be, to be. It's sitting in your laps. And so why do we, why do we treat this with such neglect, with such flippancy? begin with Timothy's knowledge of Paul, verses 10 to 13. Now, at, at first glance, when he says these things, they can appear a little bit arrogant. Hey, Timothy, just l look at me. However, I want you to understand that Paul was never embarrassed to say, follow me inasmuch as I follow Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. You see, there will always be godly leaders out front whom we can follow as they faithfully f follow Jesus. As they faithfully follow Jesus. And, and Paul goes on from there. You, you followed my teaching, supported by my conduct, my way of, my way of life, and, and my sufferings. He starts with those words, now you, more literally again, but now. 
This, again, is an intentional contrast. Yes, difficult days are coming, filled with false teachers whose lives will be characterized by that vice list that we looked at last week. But you, Timothy, you, you followed me. You, you know me. In opposition to the deceitfulness of the false teachers who secretly crept into homes to introduce these destructive heresies, you know me. You know all about me. There was a certain transparency to Paul and an openness uh, which could be examined and should be, well, should be true of any faithful teacher. Because you see, the fact is, students observe their teachers, whether they be church leaders or parents. They, they observe teachers to see if what is being taught is in fact applied. See, the saying is, Somewhat true, more is caught than is actually taught. So Paul first appeals to his own examples. You know me. You, you, you can trust me, which begs a very, very important question. There are those behind you in, in this walk, in this race, uh, as we march toward Christ. There are those behind you watching you. Here's the question, where are you leading them? If there are people be behind you, and there are, where are you leading them? Do you want them to go where you're going? Paul could actually say, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and perseverance. You know all about me, so as to be able to follow my example as a standard. Again, that is a bit of a scary thought to me. We, we teach and people follow our example. So what is it that Timothy knew about Paul? He gives a, a list. First, his teaching. Paul has already made many such references in this letter to his teaching, calling it his teaching, the gospel, sound words, the treasure, the good deposit that must at all costs be passed on to others. You, you, you know my teaching. And, and we're going to find that his teaching was consistent with Scripture. This is going to be his argument. His teaching is, can be verified from the Bible. Not only that, you know my conduct. Or it could be translated, you know my way of life. Very simply, Paul is saying, I've practiced what I've preached. Timothy, you know that I believe what I've taught because I've, I've lived it. Can, can we also say the same thing about those behind us? Those that we are calling along the way. Those who follow us? Or is it more like, well, I hear what you're saying, but your actions are drowning out your words. You know my purpose. The word speaks of aim. You know where we're going. In fact, his purpose was always clear to everyone. He had a singular purpose to propagate the gospel and the gospel life in the lives of others. That was that was what he was all about. People ask me rather regularly, what is your vision for the church? I got no vision. This is my vision. I want to propagate the gospel and the gospel life in the lives of others. That's who we are. Unlike the false teachers whose purpose of selfishness would eventually be made known to everyone, Paul's clearly evident purpose, I want you to get this, Paul's clearly evident purpose was gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, word-saturating, saturated, and others-focused. That's who he was. 
He says, you know, my faith, which speaks of his absolute faith or trust in God and resulted in a faithfulness to God. You know, my love, as opposed to the false teachers who loved only themselves, Paul had a self-sacrificing love for God and, and for others. And, and that was seen in his desire to further the gospel. You, you know, my patience and perseverance, I'll put those two words together, especially in the midst of adverse circumstances. My, you, you know, my willingness, he had said earlier, to endure everything. You, you name it, I will do whatever. Uh, I'll do all things for the sake of the elect. And he needed that endurance for what follows in verse 11. The question we must answer today is not, the question is not whether those we teach, like, you know, our kids, the question is not whether they know these things about us. They actually do. They know about our teaching, our conduct, our purpose, our faith, and patience and love. They actually know it better than, than anyone. The question is, do we like what they know? Where are we leading them? We see certain results from Paul's lifestyle in verse 11, namely, well, persecutions and sufferings. The, these were persecutions beyond verbal assault, although they certainly included that. These were persecutions of, of physical sufferings. He, he lists the following by way of example, and these took place in his first missionary journey, and that was quite intentional because this first missionary journey took him to Timothy's home area. Timothy would remember these stories. He maybe even lived some of them. Antioch, we read about in Acts chapter 13. There he preached in the synagogue on the, uh, uh, the first week, and he was so well received that many urged him to come back the following week, that second Sabbath. Almost the whole city came out to hear him, but we find the Jews were so jealous that they incited persecution against Paul and had him and his team expelled from the city. Antioch, second Iconium, which we read about in Acts 14, at least the first part of the chapter. We Paul preached in the synagogue the first week. Many believed, but that also divided the city. There was a plot devised from those opposing Paul to both, both mistreat and to stone him. This plot was discovered, and, and, and Paul had to flee for his life, taking him to Lystra, the second part of Acts 14. When he went to Lystra, he was followed by some Jews from Antioch and Iconium. They succeeded there in turning the crowd against Paul, who then succeeded in stoning him. I don't know if you know about stoning. Stoning is when they circle you in a, in a violent crowd and they take up rocks, don't think pebbles, think stones, and begin throwing them at you so as to kill you. It's a brutal way to die. They stoned him and they left him, uh, dragged him outside the city and left him for dead. These are the persecutions that he endured for his teaching and his way of life. Don't, don't miss, though, that last statement. And out of them all, the Lord <laughs> rescued me. <laughs> I, I don't quite get that. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking being stoned and left for dead is not being delivered. You, you see, Paul 
had a realization that God was sovereignly in control of every aspect, every area of his life to include that particular situation. He, he gets even a little crazier at the end of this particular book in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul is writing from prison as he awaits certain execution. Again, any moment he knows he's going to be offered up as a drink offering. He knows he has finished his course. He has fought the good fight. It is over for him. Any moment they're going to shed his blood on the way and he says this the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely home to his heavenly kingdom are you kidding me Paul realized, you see, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Do whatever you want to this body, persecute me all that you want. In the end, I die and I will be with him, I win. So when Paul goes on to warn Timothy and frankly us that persecution is not just for a select few, but for everyone who desires to live a godly life, we really ought to be okay with that. His purpose. Join with me in suffering. It's okay. Paul writes to warn him that the Neronian persecutions are coming, and then in verses 12 and 13 tells him and us that suffering is normal for the Christian life. This has been a constant refrain uh, for Paul throughout his writings and acts. 14, which tells the story of that stoning being left for dead. He, after he got up, went back into the city. Last place I would have gone, he goes back into the city and says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Philippians chapter 1, he said, for you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He said, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, you did. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he said, now I... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, you got to understand, there was nothing lacking as it related to the atonement of Christ. But the implication here seems to be that the church has been assigned a certain degree of suffering. We all have our share to take. It's been given you. You see, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, I don't want any of you to be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. I kind of like that predestination of salvation. I'm not sure I like this predestination to suffering. After all, in John chapter 15, Jesus told us, uh, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I think the point is clear. Suffering as a Christian is to be expected. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not maybe, will suffer persecution. Now, I understand that persecution can take on many different forms, but I have also been suggesting to you as we've been studying this book, as you look at our, the, the climate in our culture, in our society, in our country, persecution is coming. I, I believe that. Because it's a way of life for followers of Jesus. These evil men and imposters speaks of religious charlatans described at the beginning of this particular chapter will go from bad to worse. Notice both being deceived. Remember, they're being ca taken captive by the enemy of our souls. They're not, old, they're not really the enemy. They have been taken captive by the enemy 
but thereby they deceive others. Persecution. They persecute others as a way of life for Christ's followers. Now, you know, let me offer one caveat here. That is not to say that we should go out of our way to seek persecution. Some have, have done that. Persecution, I want you to understand, is not the end to be sought. Godliness is. And when persecution results as we pursue godliness, okay. But, but don't go out of your way to find it. In fact, I would say short of living an ungodly uh, lifestyle, go ahead and avoid persecution. Fine. Even Paul secretly left the city of Damascus by being lowered in a basket to avoid persecution. So let's not concentrate on persecution. Let's concentrate on being godly and let persecution come because it will come. That brings us to our second point very quickly. Look to your teachers, Timothy. They can be trusted. He starts with the same words as he started in verse 10, but you, in contrast uh, to these false teachers, but you, even though persecutions are coming, in fact, certain continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Look to the lives of your teachers, see the reality of truth, and be encouraged to continue to follow. Now, from whom had Timothy learned? We see here that he learned from his childhood, childhood, literally infancy. And we remember back in chapter 1 that faith first found his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Here, Paul says that from childhood he had learned the scriptures. Now, when when Timothy was a child, he was, taught, he was learning the Old Testament scriptures from his Jewish mother and his Jewish grandmother. Here is the point, though, that Paul is making. He appeals to the godly lives of these teachers, parents, as support for the proclamation of truth. Continue in what you've learned. Look at their lives. The character of the teacher supports the character of truth. Let me say that again. The character of the teacher supports the character of the truth. This is certainly Paul was including himself as one of Timothy's teachers. So again, the principle is clear. Look to your teachers inasmuch as they model truth, as they practice what they preach. And if you were here this morning and you have good and godly parents, I would encourage you to, to follow them. And if you don't, find someone else. And if you have kids, be good and godly parents for them to follow. This brings us then to the very important, incredibly important third point. Look to Paul, fine. Look to your teachers, that's good. But ultimately, look to the scriptures. Paul says, you see, what I and your mother and your grandmother taught you were the sacred writings. The only time this particular two words are used in the New Testament. And he's simply referring to the scripture. They've taught you the scripture from childhood. The very scripture, he says, that is able to give you the wisdom of salvation, which is found in Christ Jesus. Now, we know that when they taught Timothy the scripture, Paul was talking here very clearly about the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet. So they taught him the scripture, which clearly taught salvation in Christ Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? You see, we need to remember three very 
important passages of Scripture. The first is in John chapter 5 when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He said to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. In other words, Jesus said, hey, listen, I want you to understand something, Pharisees. This, this Old Testament Scripture that you are, you are committed to, I want you to understand that they are all about me. Luke chapter 24, after Jesus was raised from the dead and some of his disciples were confused, he appeared to two of those confused disciples on the road to Emmaus and said, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, that's the Pentateuch, and all the rest of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In other words, I would have loved to have been there because Jesus gave them an Old Testament survey and showed how that it all pointed to him and his gospel, the way of salvation. You see, the gospel is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. It has always been the same story, the same truth. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which also you stand by, which also you are saved. This gospel by which you are saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament scripture, proving that Jesus was the promised Messiah. It is in this scripture now, and I will use them collectively, both Old and New Testaments, that we learn this gospel and that salvation has always been by grace through faith. Listen, salvation never came by keeping the law. In fact, we know from our study in Galatians that the law was given to show us that we can't keep the law, that we needed a Savior. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Even Abraham, Romans chapter 4, was saved by faith. So the Old Testament, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. The Old Testament, with its types and its pictures and its sacrifices and its prophecies, and its stories, all point to Jesus. So when you are reading the Old Testament, look for Jesus. He is all over the place. The New Testament fully reveals the person and work of Jesus such that Paul would go on to make this incredible, eternal, amazing statement. I want you to get this. All Scripture is inspired by God. Stop right there. All Scripture. This is one of the most foundational truths of Christianity. This is what Christianity is built upon, the truth of Scripture. All Scripture, every word is God-breathed. Listen, if you take this Bible and you tell me that there are some parts of it that are in error, that are not true, and you start tearing out pages of the Bible, I quit. Serious about that. All Scripture is inspired by God, fully inspired. The word for Inspired is literally God-breathed. The scripture is the very breath of God, meaning, this is important, it is not that men wrote the Bible and then God somehow breathed life into the Bible. The scripture was actually God's breath. He breathed them out. This Bible that we, that we take for granted 
God's very words to us. 2 Peter chapter 1 says it this way. No, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy, not a single one, was ever uh, made by an act of human will. It wasn't like someone said, I think I'm going to write today. And God says, that's really good. I think I'll breathe life into that. No, they never did that. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit such that the Scripture is rightly called the very Word of God. While God did not erase the human personalities of the authors, in fact, if you read in the original language, you can see that this one was a fisherman, this was a little bit more educated, but he inspired every author of Scripture to write exactly what they wrote word for word, every single word, such that every word of God is pure and holy and right and trustworthy and ultimately inerrant. Did you hear what I just said? I don't care what you hear at ASU. I don't care what you hear at whatever university or college that you go to. Every word is true. If it is not, how can we trust any of it? Every word. Jesus said not one jot or tittle, the smallest stroke of the pen of the Hebrew alphabet will pass away until all is fulfilled. Every word. Now, if you have been following uh, what I've been saying up to this point, you've had that unusual attention that I asked you to have, you, you know that Paul was writing before the New Testament was completed and compiled into what we call our canon or our list, a, a, a New Testament. So here's the question. How do we know that the inspired, God-breathed, inerrant Scripture, the Word of God, includes the New Testament? How do we know this? This is an important question. You should be asking it. It's a great question. Consider the following. First, Paul told the Galatians that the gospel that he shared, he did not receive from any man, but by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Second, Paul wrote and expected that his letters be read to the church, no doubt right alongside the Old Testament readings. He expected his letters be shared with other churches and clearly obeyed. Third, Paul said he spoke in the name of and with the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul called his teaching in this particular letter, things are in, in, to Timothy, both first and second Timothy, the standard of sound words, the treasure, the gospel, the word of truth, sound doctrine. In fact, he told Timothy, this stuff is so important, I need you to pass this on to other men who will be able to teach others also, who will be able to teach others also, who will be sitting in ABF on Sunday morning 2,000 years later. Paul actually said, this one, write this one down. You need to look this up and let this sink in just a little bit. This is incredible. Paul actually said that the things that he teaches were not words of human wisdom, but they were taught by the Spirit. In other words, he claims that his teaching was inspired the same way the Old Testament... Old Testament was inspired, was inspired by the Spirit. Now listen, every once in a while someone will say, you know, I was so inspired by the Spirit that I wrote this book or wrote this poem or wrote this song. No, you weren't. No, no, no you weren't. Not in the same way that this book was. You see, to be inspired by God is that God breathes out the very words. 
Lastly, or second to last, Peter clearly stated that Paul's writings were Scripture. Look it up, 2 Timothy chapter 3. What Paul wrote, Peter called Scripture. And then lastly, Paul combined quotes from Deuteronomy written by Moses and Luke written by Luke in the New Testament. He called both of them Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's amazing. John Stott sums this idea of the Scripture up very very well. It's a long quote, but look at it with me. So, since the Bible is a book of salvation, and since salvation is through Christ, the Bible focuses its attention upon Christ. The Old Testament foretells and foreshadows Him in many, in various ways. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus, and and, then the Gospels tell the story of His birth and life, His words, His work, His death and resurrection. The, The Acts describe what He continued to do and teach through His chosen apostles, especially in the spreading of the Gospel and establishing the church from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, and the epistles display the full glory of his person and work and apply it to the life of the Christian and the church, while Revelation, the Revelation depicts Christ sharing the throne of God now and coming soon to consummate his salvation and his judgment. Hallelujah. That is the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about the story of Jesus and his saving lost sinners like you and me. And it's on this that we build our lives. It's all about Him. It is all breathed out by God and fully, completely, entirely trustworthy and faithful. Therefore, He can say, the Scripture is profitable. That means useful. I will say indispensable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I need you to follow Paul's train of thought here. Paul is saying, Timothy... Persecution is coming. In fact, it's already here. False teachers are coming. In fact, they're hanging out with them in Ephesus. They're here. You know, however, my teaching, which ultimately found its way into God's inspired scripture. You know that my life supported the teaching. You know those who taught you, your teachers, like your mom and your grandma and me. And you know what they taught you. You've known it since childhood. You've known the sacred writings in the scripture and you know that what I have taught and what we are talking about now is consistent with the scripture. This is his point. Because the Bible, every word is inspired. I I, I love it when people say that the the Bible is just full of contradictions. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? The Bible is just full of contradictions. You know, they just say that because some professor said it somewhere. I love when people say that because I just hand it to them and say, can you show me one? They can't because it's God's word. The same author from Genesis to Revelation, God never got confused. Every word is true. And so as you face persecution, Timothy, as you seek to protect, preserve, teach, and pass on the truth, the truth of the gospel, it must be found in. People listen to me. People of Alliance listen to me. It must be found in, built upon, the inspired, inerrant, faithful, God-breathed word of God. I don't have anything else. And neither do you. In fact, the word is what you need for teaching and doctrine and conduct. Teaching, conduct, creed, conduct. Think of it that way. Uh, He uses four words here, teaching and reproof go together, both 
positive and negative, and then he goes to the next two, negative and positive. That's the way Eastern writers thought of it. They went positive, negative, negative, positive, or negative, positive, positive. That's the way they do it. They go in and then they come out. That's just, it's called chiastic structure. That's what they did. So the first two go together. The Bible is what you need for teaching doctrine and correcting heresy. All right? It's what you need for teaching doctrine and correcting heresy. The second pair refers to conduct. Negative, positive. The Bible is what you need for correcting bad conduct and training in righteousness, training good conduct. So that you, Timothy, so that you, people sitting here this morning, every man and every woman of God may be adequate. The word speaks of being capable or proficient and therefore equipped for every good work, those good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. So, do you see how absolutely critically important this passage is. It demonstrates that teaching is important, sure, but that that teaching must ultimately find its source in the Word of God. Listen to me. If If you're a guest here this morning, you're visiting here from another church, or if you call Alliance your church and you feel one day that God calls you to go to another church, that's fine. We're not the only church in Boone. We're not the only church in the world. I get that. I understand that. If God calls you to another church for whatever reason, listen to me very carefully. You find one that builds its ministry squarely on this. You you go to a church and the guy just stands up there and tells story after story and cute anecdote after cute anecdote. Leave before he's finished. If you want to be the man or the woman God wants you to be, it must ultimately come through your knowledge and application of God-breathed Scripture. This is what we must build our lives upon. This is God's self-revelation. It's this revelation of Himself to us. Now, I understand. I'm not trying to make the Bible an idol. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. But the Bible is what communicates truth to us about Jesus. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you must be in the Bible. It comes no other way. So why do we treat it with such neglect? I don't have time today. You you don't have, did you have time for physical nourishment today? Tim Folks has, has this saying that he lives by. No Bible, no breakfast. He's got it in the right order. You have everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him. It's sitting in your lap. Last thing that I will say, last thought, even Jesus, while he was in the flesh, used the scripture You see, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he refuted the lies of the devil three times by quoting Scripture. He was certainly the Word incarnate, but he was so familiar with the Scripture, he could just quote it to to, to ward off the attacks of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The very first thing that Jesus said when refuting the devil Quoting scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 